You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. The Flash, which came out in 2023 and was directed by Andy Machete. It stars Ezra Miller, Michael Keaton, Ron Livingston, Maribel Verdu, Sasha Cali, Michael Shannon, Kiersey Clemens, Sersha Monica Jackson, Ruby Mancuso, Anche Trau, and Ben Affleck. The genre would be superhero adventure. Tell me something. You can go anywhere. Another timeline. Another universe. So why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? Because this is the world where my mom lives. I'm not going to lose her again. This can't be happening. I completely broke the universe. If I can't undo what I did... If I can't get back... There might not be a future. What's the play? Batman, what do we do? We try not to die. This movie is superhero fan service done right. Now, it's not perfect. Not even close to perfect. But there's a joy laced with pathos which carries it through thanks to G-Wiz direction from Andy Machete and an effective central performance from Ezra Miller. It's the latest in a string of superhero, quote, multiverse movies, going back a few years now to Spider-Man No Way Home. And it very well might be the best of this crop overall. By default, mind you. Because as far as I'm concerned, the only superhero movie to perfectly pull off time travel or jumping between universes, I guess it depends on how you define it, as a narrative device remains X-Men Days of Future Past which came out about 10 years ago. That movie just had an elegance with the way that time travel was used. It gave genuine thought and care towards how each major character would be affected by the time jump, and Days of Future Past might have had the perfect avatar to take on such a jump, and that would be the indestructible Wolverine, or Logan, played by Hugh Jackman. Logan, you're going to have to do for me what I once did for you. Lead me. Guide me. I was a very different man then. You'll have to be patient with me. Patience is my strongest suit. That said, The Flash comes in a close second, thanks to having a central character whose powers are well aligned with the ability to time travel. It also has a very canny ability to actually visualize how time travel works, including one clever scene involving spaghetti. Yeah. Beyond that, what's essential that this movie has is also well-laid-out emotional stakes. Yeah, sorry, No Way Home. Your main character not getting into MIT doesn't really suffice. And most importantly, what The Flash has is a deceptively simple, straightforward story driving everything forward. So let's imagine that it is in fact possible for you to run faster than the speed of light, and in so doing, travel back in time. It still would be wildly irresponsible. I knew you were going to say that. Yes, because Barry, if you were to go into the past, any interaction you have with your parents or yourself you step on the wrong blade of grass. You have no idea what the consequences to that can be. No, I know. The, the butterfly effect, right? Yes. I get it. But Bruce, I can fix things. You could also destroy everything. 
On the screenplay level, this movie has a well-structured ABCD plot, straight progression, apparently thanks to co-writers Christina Hodson and Joby Harold, but also due to five-plus years of rewrites and uncredited work from previous creators, including both Lord and Miller. Yeah, the guys who also wrote Spider-Verse. And the same duo who also wrote Spider-Man Homecoming, a lot of Spider-Man action, and Game Night. And that would be Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. Yeah, actually, both duos, Lord Miller, Goldstein, and Daly, they both had a crack at directing this movie. It's actually kind of crazy just how cohesive this movie is when you factor in its extremely troubled production history. In essence, it's a very direct story involving the danger of using your powers to basically right a wrong from the past. And that's it. That's all the story you need. The focus is kept almost exclusively on Ezra Miller's Barry Allen for this film's entire 145-minute runtime. Well, that Barry Allen plus another Barry Allen, who is his younger self, a variant, mind you, who he meets in a different timeline. And whether it results in weaker potential memes just having one, well, actually, it's two flashes in the third act, of the same type of titular hero, it's smart from a storytelling standpoint. No matter what we do, we're not going to be able to fix this. No! Nobody dies! Miller is unassailably strong in dual roles, with the older Barry Allen now trapped within a bizarre time travel trap of his own making, as his younger version complicates the situation by being impetuous. Their interactions result in much of the film's best humor, though to be fair, a little goes a long way sometimes. There's sometimes a bit much of it. You're strapped to your parachutes. It wears yours! And it stretches the credulity of the screenplay a bit in just how roughly around the halfway point of the movie, both Barrys, very different Barrys, are able to build a rapport so quickly with a certain retired caped crusader. Speaking of Batman's return, yes, Michael Keaton features prominently in the second half of this movie as Bruce Wayne on the same alternative Earth-slash-timeline which Barry finds himself mired in. And Keaton is certainly engaging and fun to watch as an aging recluse now living in a somewhat dilapidated Wayne Manor, similar to the one obviously featured in Tim Burton's two Bat films, which Keaton starred in, though still with a fully functional Bat Cave? Is this what I think it is? on the news when I was a kid. I'll help you get this Superman. Then, you're on your own. You're... You are here. Yeah. Batman. Yeah, like I said, there are some stretches here, but that's really indicative of Muschietti's main storytelling strategy for this whole movie. When in doubt, he goes visual, as he goes to town with the Batman iconography. He's just not shy about utilizing fan service in lieu of relying on expositional dialogue. And just a reminder, films are a visual medium, so it kind of works. Admittedly, this film does feel a bit messy at points. There has been strong criticism of wonky CGI, for instance, which I can see, though when it comes towards portraying concepts like the actual Speed Force, I personally found that it made sense to show several variants of different characters with a bit of an uncanny valley look to them. I mean, this is all supposed to look unnatural, so I never found it quite as distracting. And yes, a few of the fan service callbacks do lay it on a bit thick at times. Again, though, using iconic lines and or dialogue is a consistent tool for this film's narrative to move things forward. I mean, overall, this is just not a subtle movie, but its sincerity really won me over.
I lost my parents. That pain made me who I am. I spent a lifetime trying to right the wrongs of the past. As if fighting crime would bring my parents back. You actually did it. This brings me to the categories, and the first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. The Flash, the movie, has a surprising reliance on needle drops, and not your typical retro ones either. We have The Cult, Supergrass, and even two classics from Chicago's own, well, Chicago. Yeah, the band, they're from Chicago. Every song pretty much does the job as well, even though I am starting to tire just a bit of the ironic needle drop as a movie trope. You know, showing some crazy stuff happening on screen with a low-key classic rock song playing over it for contrast, it's kind of done at this point, and it's done a few times here too. That said, there is an unironic needle drop at the very end of the movie which caught me off guard with just how perfect it was. It plays over the end credit sequence featuring a dog in slow motion falling with various items falling around it. It's goofy, but the song really makes it work. And that song would be the celebratory rocker, This Too Shall Pass, from Chicago's own, yeah, that's right, by way of LA if we're being honest though, OK Go, from their 2010 album of The Blue Color of the Sky. OK Go is one of those independent alternative rock bands which has maintained their independence, or has at least struggled to maintain their independence from record labels since their inception more than 20 years ago. I've always dug these guys and their power pop sound, often enhanced with the use of brass. And I'm actually kind of surprised that this is apparently the first film to utilize this particular song. It's a perfect note to end the movie on, as the song not only has just such a hopeful sound, but also a hopeful message within its lyrics. In the band's words, the song's theme is mainly about Searching for hope in hopeless times. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. As it has been widely marketed this way, The Flash features the introduction and or reintroduction of some key characters, though gratefully none of them overshadow Barry Allen slash The Flash. You came back. I'm glad you're okay. I have to ask you something. When you found me in that hole that they put me in, and I wasn't kal why did you help me? Because you needed help. Do you know what this symbol stands for? Supergirl? Means hope, right? Hope, yeah, does it mean hope? Yes. I will help you fight Zod. Among them is newcomer Sasha Cali, really making her presence felt as Supergirl, and Ben Affleck returning as Bruce Wayne, Batman, who has a few nice scenes early on, including one kick-ass action sequence driving his version of the Batpod. It's pretty cool. Plus, you have several fun cameos with one towards the end, which I kind of had to applaud for the sheer ridiculousness of it. I mean, we are talking the appearance of a major actor in a setting that would only make sense if you knew the backstory behind it or did some homework. 
However, I did find the return of one character somewhat disappointing, and that would be the return of General Zod, played by Chicago's own, I just love using that trope, but actually he did work in Chicago a lot, by way of Kentucky, mind you, and that would be the legendary Michael Shannon. I love this actor. And I quite enjoyed seeing him bring some chilly new dimension to the Zod character in Man of Steel 10 years ago. And sadly, his return to this universe in this movie is a letdown. He's just kind of there in the Kryptonian soldier getup, making his endless declarations about having to destroy the Earth. That's really it. He has one tense exchange with Supergirl, and Sasha Kelly plays this scene really well. But I just didn't know what to make of Michael Shannon's line readings in this scene. He just did not seem engaged, and I have to question if he was even present to deliver these lines. Granted, General Zod is not really the main villain of this movie, so it doesn't have a huge impact overall, but I still just found it a letdown. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. All throughout The Flash, each action set piece is both rambunctiously fun, yet often teetering on the edge of gruesome, but in a more PG-13 kind of way, actually. I mean, think of the Doc Ock surgery room sequence in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 2, or the inspired Quicksilver Pentagon sequence from Days of Future Past, for apt comparisons. Most of the action here is well executed, well shot, and surprisingly easy to follow given the preponderance of flash lightning spread throughout the action, but it never obscures it. And as we are continuing the comparisons to other comic book movies, Muschietti at times even seems to be channeling comic book era Sam Raimi, but Darkman era Sam Raimi. One such standout sequence occurs off the bat, though I don't want to delve too much into its specifics so as to spoil it. Let's just say that there's an audacious hospital rescue section within the opening action sequence of this movie, which had me thinking, okay, wow, we're really doing this? It's kind of jaw-dropping. But it works as an action sequence, not despite some wonky CGI, but possibly even because of it if you could buy that. I mean, once you've seen it, think of what or who we are actually seeing the Flash rescue here. You make it look too realistic, and it just becomes increasingly off-putting to watch. I'll leave it at that. This particular set piece is just Muschietti and crew attempting to demonstrate the absurdity of superhero work while also celebrating it. As I also loved that Mumbatan rescue sequence in Across the Universe, previous episode, I consider this particular rescue sequence, orchestrated by The Flash, to be the true highlight of this movie, despite several other impressive sequences throughout the remainder of the movie. I guess I'm just a sucker for go-for-broke rescue sequences. That stuff just kind of stands out all the more to me when the majority of superhero movies recently just feature so much more emphasis on superheroes punching each other or punching other villains. I mean, these are superheroes, right? They're supposed to be heroic. That's the whole point. And this movie never forgets that. And now the final category, and that would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. What the folks at Warner's DC have crafted here is obviously the result of many unforeseen negative circumstances, Ezra Miller's real-life criminal activity, and all of their resulting legal troubles. Meaning that in all likelihood, Ezra Miller is not likely to appear in a movie like this again, playing this character again. And I'm actually comfortable with that. There's also the rotating door of directors involved over the past five years, resulting in many stops and starts and delays. And of course, there's also now the looming reboot of the entire DCEU, based on new leadership, including James Gunn taking over. And the result is a franchise entry which has found itself boxed into actually having to stand on its own, imagine that, with minimal concern about the next entry or future entries or potential spin-offs. 
Whether Ezra Miller returns in this role, or this villain is set up, or if that particular actor portraying Batman returns for another movie, or for watching some backdoor pilot for those new characters, or what it means for future DC movies, that's all pretty much irrelevant to me. I want good, entertaining movies which can stand on their own first and foremost. Overall, as a singular movie-going experience, The Flash never strays from what it's trying to be, as it is a fully contained, emotional journey for our main character. I kind of love it for that, too. The one creative figure who was responsible for pulling all this together in the end was, of course, the director. And for that reason, Andy Muschietti is the MVP. The great thing about this project, Deandra, is that uh, there was no, no parent there telling us that we can't, we can't play with the toys until, like, 2 a.m. in the morning. So I just, you know, we were lucky enough to, to have a budget, you know, to have a, the right budget to let my imagination go, go. And, and of course, you know, in post-production, you realize that, that, you know, it's a bit of like, you know, it doesn't matter if you make a small movie or a huge movie, there is a wall that you're going to, you're going to crash and, and you're going to eventually run out of, of, of time. <laughs> My rating for The Flash is four and a half stars out of five. Now, there was some early hype coming from earlier screenings earlier this year, proclaiming this to be one of the best comic book movies ever. And it might be up there. Have to give it some time to think about that. I would say, at the very least, it's the best superhero movie so far this year, though just narrowly ahead of Across the Spider-Verse. It's a close call, to be honest, as Spider-Verse is just so beautifully crafted, so many beautiful images in that film, and yet is just not nearly as well-structured as this film, nor is focused either. So, short version? Believe the hype. And if you're looking to watch The Flash, it is now playing in theaters. And that ends another... Flash Forward Review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.